Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Denzel Allen began his journey as a physical educator while attending the University of Connecticut, where he also played D1 football. Denzel graduated as a major in psychology and minor in sociology, but his learning did not stop there. He is a passionate knowledge seeker and a natural born coach. His continuing education has resulted in many certifications, including FMS, Precision precision Nutrition, Ace Personal Trainer, Strong First Level 1, and two, kettlebell, strong first body weight, strong first lifter, and of course, CPR and first aid. He believes we are all lifelong students who never truly graduate. He has helped many people. He has coached to feel, move, and perform better than they ever have using proof and training methodologies that efficiently improve performance while increasing longevity and decreasing the risk of injury. Denzel has coached a broad range of athletes from novice to professional and has trained hundreds of coaches at strong first certifications and workshops where he was a team leader. When he is not training at his own private fitness facility, Strength Den, he is usually writing or exploring the outdoors. Whew. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, our mutual friend recently introduced us and said, I must have you on the show. And when Wynn tells me to do something, I do it. So welcome. <laughs> you for having me and shout out to win shout out to win she has been (laughs) the greatest support everyone needs a win (laughs) seriously i don't know how she does it for so many people like she's such a rock in so many people's lives it's unbelievable I couldn't agree more. I remember seeing uh, two things. One, her going away party um, at her last job where they all had like face cutouts. And then another uh, was at her Zoom birthday party. I missed it. But my friend was like, there's like 75 people on this Zoom call. And she just makes you feel like you're her best friend, you know? And that, so the fact that she has like 75 other people that feel that way, it's, no, it's amazing. <laughs> it, is. it is. I'm like, she got to do something with it. I don't know. I don't know what that will be, but I'm like, she's, you know, just massive networker. Everybody she has it. It's, it's, yeah, she has it. So she has what can't be taught too. I got to have her on here one day. I have to find the right angle to interview her because she's just been the biggest support and like cheerleader and wingman. And, and I haven't even known her that long. We met in Nepal. So for everyone listening, uh, Emery is a recurring guest on this show and Wynn is Emery's best friend from childhood. And she showed up in Nepal and we just became 
best friends immediately. We had a Miami trip together. We both love Hamilton and, um, (laughs) she's just a huge support. And she wrote me and said, you got to have Denzel on. And I said, done. (laughs) So here we are. Um, what's happening in your world? Tell me everything. What's going on? uh, I feel like so much going on. Uh, I mean, juggling business, juggling writing a book, juggling volunteering, uh, and then juggling just enjoying free time. So I'm, I've, I've been, you know, among training people online, so through Zoom, and then I've been doing like park sessions where we can stand, mm-hmm. you know, like 20 feet apart, pretty much make sure we're socially distanced. Um, and then I've been doing also like group online classes and like online programming and yeah, a lot there. And then uh, when I'm not doing that or writing, I'm just literally probably off in the woods somewhere <laughs> looking at trees, doing stuff that when I was a kid, I would have thought I was weird, you know. So, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's uh, just a lot, a lot going on. Yeah. Like more so than, than, than pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, just having to juggle and figure out the in-person stuff, the online stuff, and then just, you know, having to, I enjoy giving the time, but that just complicates the schedule more. So there's just, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And do you have a team? Are you a one-man show? What's... So I'm a one-man show right before – I was actually, of course, talking to Wynn about this. She's helping me create a job description uh, so that I can hire a assistant because right before this happened, I was like – I was training 30 people uh, a week. I was seeing like over 30 people in person plus uh, probably like up to 10 people online. So there's like 40 people that I'm I'm trying to figure out my schedule plus do all this other stuff that I want to be doing. And it was becoming a lot. And then once COVID hit, I had to basically just take a step back and try to see like, where are things going? How do I make people feel comfortable? Also, how do I still provide like a service for people in this different arena right like i i love doing in-person training so having to pivot to online has been you know a huge learning curve where doing zoom sessions as opposed to like before most of my online uh people i had were coaches so it was i could tell them to do something and they knew how to do everything i didn't really have to do the coaching part but this has brought on a whole new a whole new dynamic, which I think will be useful, you know, kind of forever going forward. Right. Being forced into it. But um, it's been it's been an interesting journey of trying to figure out how to pivot constantly. And yeah, every new rule, the new pivot. So, yeah, I can imagine. And people, I guessing, are quite attached to you um, and that in-person time, you know, that live time that they get with you. I know with all coaches, trainers, even my, you know, acupuncturist, nutritionist, chiropractor, like anybody that's helping you physically, um, you get quite attached to. So I'm guessing that it's been a huge adjustment for your clients as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, you know, I, I mean, it's, in one way it's kind of better because it's, 
there's almost more contact and more conversation, more mm-hmm. moments to, I guess, be vulnerable with one another than when like, it would just be you come into the gym and then your session's over and like, you know, kind of on to the next, however many, four people or so that I would see at a time. Um, so it, it's, I feel like for some of the clients it's been more connection and for others it's been, they really want the in-person, mm-hmm. they really want the in-person training. So the park sessions was like, once I started doing those, cause the, I didn't start doing those until I think beginning of June, once things started to at least give us a clearer picture of what was safe and what wasn't. Um, so that, you know, lifted a lot of people's spirits to just be able to leave their house and have somewhere that they're actually going, right. Like have a reason to step outside again. So that was, that was nice. And, you know, I'm super thankful for all of my clients because obviously I wouldn't have a living at all if it wasn't for them seeing value in what I'm trying to provide for them. So, yeah. Have you seen, um, during COVID, I just feel like I've become a lot more aware of my physical, body and working out and eating and just, you know, before I was working, you know, we were just talking before we uh, started recording about how I recently decided I'm not going to scale and sort of the pressure that's been lifted from coming to that aha moment. Mm -hmm. And I've been focused more on being outdoors, on riding my bike, on working out, on making smoothies, like all these things that I just was not doing before. Have you seen like a big uptick in interest and growth there kind of through the roof honestly yeah I I figured (laughs) it's uh it's pretty cool it's um I mean I started noticing it early on when before people were even reaching out when I'd be outdoors and you know I've kind of always been outdoors since I moved out here and I was seeing more and more people on the trails I was like oh okay that's cool and then more and more people you're seeing like full families on their bikes and Mm -hmm running like you could tell people were just kind of getting back into exercising and then once I started the park sessions I guess it just correlated right with timing for a lot of people and I've had a lot more people reaching out and also I mean because I work with kettlebells um and those are in a shortage right now but it's it's a hot commodity and people like I don't know how to use these things but they seem like you know this is a a full gym and a one, one size or one equipment package. Right. I've heard that. I want to talk about kettlebells actually, because I've been watching your challenges on Instagram. He does a challenge every Friday with kettlebell swings and you can tell us more about that. But before we get into that, um, I wanted to just start with your why. Um, you obviously care a lot about physical being visit physical wellness um and where does that come from what is your why why do you do what you do what gets you out of bed why do you do it my main why is just knowing if I want to enjoy life every single day that I'm on this earth that can't happen if I don't have my health right Mm. like my health is like pretty much everything else becomes you know secondary so it's like if that's the case I might as well always have that be my number one um, so for me, it's, it's, it's been a, a lifetime of seeing people you love, you know, go from healthy to unhealthy with, you know, not moving as much as they used to and things like that. So for me, it's like some of it might be a little bit of fear of, of not wanting my destiny to be what I've seen in others. 
Uh, and then other, other parts of it is just that it, you know, it does make me feel good uh, mentally. Like mm-hmm. it, it's probably the biggest thing is if I go a few days without a lot of movement, like that third day or fourth day, I'm going to be in a pretty sour mood and uh, definitely easier triggered. So for me, it's just I see our own health and wellness as being top priority. We can't help anybody else if we're if we don't have our own health right like you're not doing anyone any good if you're not in a good place yourself so we should be selfish when it comes to our own health right I think that's so important because well for so many reasons but even just this morning I got an email and I was so pissed off and I was talking to my friend about it and she's like I don't want you to write back or do anything until you go for a bike ride because that's kind of my thing as I get on the bike we have electric bikes and we're down in Santa Cruz so we can off road and go out to the coast and up through the redwoods she's like you're not riding back you're not saying anything you're taking the weekend and you got to move um especially for I talk about it a lot but I have anxiety and the movement is such a big piece of that and helping people understand that, you know, it's easier said than done. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Easier. I mean, it's the the biggest thing is having to have it be a, like a practice that you turn to time and time again before it's needed that way in the moments when it's needed, it's like, okay, I have this practice I can kind of return to and it will help to bring me back to wherever it is I'm trying to be. Um, Yeah. So that's, Definitely a good move is like have movement be your pause anytime mm. you have to make a decision, right? Like, okay, this email came in. I'm gonna press pause real quick. <laughs> have movement pause. be your pause. I'm writing, I'm stealing that. <laughs> have movement be your pause. I'm stealing it and writing it down. Well, I think such a big piece of this, and I want to touch on it, is mindset because you talk about this a lot. Um, growth mindset and how important mindset is. I talk about it all the time. I'm teaching a um, marketing course right now and mindset and like the seller's mindset I talk about. It's a whole section of the course because what whatever you're doing, I think mindset's super important. And I um, had a professional football player on here on this podcast. He's actually my speaking coach. His name's Ryan Harris. He played for the Denver Broncos. Yeah. I listened to that. Episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we talk about mindset a lot in that. Um, just because I think the mindset of an athlete is even, it's like something that is even like uncomprehendable to me and comprehensible to me at times because it's so solid and so strong. Um, so I want to talk about mindset and like what, kind of role that plays in your coaching. Um, You talk about growth mindset and what really that means and how to attain it on a daily basis. Well, to me, it starts with just having, if you have like a goal or something you want to get to, you know that change is going to be involved. So it's like the only way change can happen is through growth. So it's like you need to start off with being like, I can do this, but the only way I can do this is if I'm willing to change. So to me, that has come from football and from sports of being like, hey, I want to play. And the coaches are like, cool. <laughs> you know, like you saying it's not really going to get you anywhere. They're right. Like, Show me. So you constantly are having to work on your skills and try to get better at whatever it is that you're being asked to do. And then eventually, you know, they might see 
that there's that you have some value that you can provide to the team and you might get some playing time. But the growth mindset has come strictly through sports at first. And then since since I've left uh, playing football, it's it's come from not being able, I feel like, to have the connection I was wanting to have with people and being like, okay, well, I can't change mm-hmm. them, right? But I can change myself. So then it just became a like never ending cycle of like constantly trying to uh, come in contact with as many stories as I can, because I feel like if we can come across the right story, that's going to help us teach somebody else who might have a similar thing that they're going through. So I find it just super important to constantly kind of work on ourselves and make sure that we're being the best version of ourselves we can. That way, if someone else comes across our path, we can maybe help them along on their journey as well. Um, so yeah, and if you have like a stagnant or yeah, basically like a stagnant mindset where you think things are just kind of set in stone, it, it gives your own power away. And then that's when you start to feel helpless and, you know, like the world's against you and all these other things. But if you have a growth mindset and you try to focus on the things you can control, it's like, you know, really, Mm. I don't know what you can't accomplish. It, it's just a matter of 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 will at that point and, and taking the proper steps to get you in that direction. Yeah, I think that that's so important. How do you help? Because I work on with my clients all the time. We talk about mindset and resistance and like the ego. And, and, and I feel like in a physical fitness, the ego is like really present all the time. So how do you sort of help your clients or students or people that you coach? Um, like what sort of tools do you give them for this growth, this idea of having a growth mindset? Yeah. Well, so the biggest thing I think is I try to view like working out is just like movement practice. So I feel like when you, you change your mindset from being like, I'm doing this thing to just get this outcome to being like, no, I'm doing this to practice moving my body and I'm trying to get better at that skill. And then mm. you have outcomes that will come with that, right? Like you will definitely feel better. Your body composition will more than likely change, right? Like your cognitive uh, output is going to be much better. Like you're going to have all these things, but your whole goal at that point is basically just trying to get better at moving. So most of the people that come in through the door, that's what I try to get them to focus on it's like okay look at look at these things that you're you weren't able to do when day one right like we always take a baseline and it's like look at what Mm. you're able to do now that way they're able to see their own growth within that time period even if the number on the scale didn't change or right you know pant size didn't change or something like that right some of these uh more physical measurements that we'll use so really it's just trying to basically guide people away from just being so focused on like the aesthetics, even though that might be why they walked in through the door. I usually Mm. think that's a deeper underlying thing going on uh, than than really like whatever they think that aesthetic outcome is going to get them. It's like, totally focus on movement, get you kind of distracted off of constantly thinking about how you want to make this part of your arm better, this part of your leg or something like that, then I think that's a great mindset shift to begin with. And then everything else becomes like much easier to just fall in place. It's kind of like meditation. I feel like people 
come to meditation because they want to, you know, have be better at work or be more productive or, you know, all of these things. And Ram Das always says, you know, for whatever reason you start meditation, uh, you'll attain that thing. Like you'll get that thing, but that's not what's going to keep you coming back. And your mindset will actually change throughout it. And I found that a lot with meditation and, you know, I'm trying to get better with movement, um, because I'm so resistant to it. And I think it's still such like an ego thing of how you look or aging and, you know, being a woman is just like, you know, a nightmare, especially on social media. Um, the call out culture among women is just totally crazy. So, but that's a whole nother episode. That's a whole nother (laughs) podcast. Um, but yeah, so the other thing that you talked about, which is the most interesting thing that you wrote down is journaling and allowing others to read it when you die. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm so intrigued by this. Tell me everything. Yeah. So, uh, it's funny cause that's such, every time I bring it up to people, they're like, what? No, I love this. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's just truth, right? Like, like in the moment when you're writing in your journal, it's your truth. And we should confidently be able to live within our truth. Right. So we're told to, you know, for the four agreements, you're not supposed to take things personally. Right. Like that's one of the agreements. So if what I wrote in the journal about somebody, you know, they might not like it later, but it was the truth at the moment. And, you know, it's just, it's to me, I'm not going to take it personally. Plus I'm nosy and I do want to know what's in everybody else's journal. Same. (laughs) That's why I love this concept. I'm like, wait, I love this. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) So that's a huge part of it is like, really, I just want to be nosy and be able to read everybody in the world's journal. But the, the biggest part of it is just really trying to get comfortable and vulnerable with like our own truth and just being willing to like live in that as opposed to what we generally want to do, which is, you know, create this whole persona that we show for the outside world. And then the only person that we're actually, you know, ourselves with is when we're absolutely alone. And I think that makes us go through life feeling a little bit lonely because you're not really ever getting true deep connection if you're you're unwilling to tell truths and to be vulnerable at times it's like we kind of need to go there to create true like deep relationships yeah i mean i couldn't agree more i think that we're you know you're preaching to the choir over here because (laughs) i too want to know every detail you know as somebody starts telling me a story i'm like go back and tell me (laughs) Every detail, you know, like that was nowhere near what I wanted. And, and so I want to know everything and I share everything. So, you know, I was having a conversation with, um, one of my team members and she was actually talking to me today about how transparent I am and, and how open I am and how that makes others, you know, think and feel that they can also be that open. And, and I would love for somebody to publish my journal when I die, you know, but the question is, I think for people is, what about that would make you cringe or uncomfortable or scared? Because it's a much bigger conversation. And I totally agree with you that that truth and that connection, when you feel seen for being actually you, and it's why I say these shocking things sometimes. It's why, you know, I'll say something that I know my friend who has better, like a better moral compass than I do will like totally 
be appalled at because I want her to see me and love me for all of those things. And, you know, my husband will be like, why'd you tell them that? You know, they're not going to be okay with that. I'm like, because I want them to love me anyway, you know? And so I'm constantly in my life pushing the boundaries. And, you know, even with my grandmother and I haven't spoken in a really long time because I did that with her and she's very religious and doesn't agree with a lot of the my lifestyle choices and the way that I've chosen to live. But mm-hmm. I feel better that she, it's almost the more respectful thing. It's like, this is all of me. And now you get to decide yeah. if you want it or not, or if you want to be in my life or not, instead of like, I'm only going to give you some. Exactly. It's that I, I need that transparency, right? Like I don't, I don't really want to have a relationship that 10, 10 years down the road, you find out, oh, actually this person's about this and that, and they've just been covering it up, right? Like that's that's what I've had happen recently where it was like hmm. organization I was a part of for like six years, seven years, you know, couldn't take a stance on on Black Lives Matter, which like to me isn't really a, a stance to take. It's just a statement of like, do you think black lives matter? Like we can go down the line and ask about, you know, every single race and this and that, but the current moment, that question I feel like is a fair question to ask. That's the issue on the table currently. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the organization I was a part of, you know, was using all these terms, virtue signaling and all this kind of stuff and being bullied into making a statement and they weren't going to do that because there's fine people and both, you know, like all this kind of, rhetoric that I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I had known this six years ago, <laughs> you know? So yeah, uh, moments when that happens, it's like, you just got to take a look at your own, own core values and be like, are these things in alignment anymore? And I decided that they were not. And I, I stepped away, but mm-hmm. transparency is something that a lot of companies have not operated uh, under, you know, they, they kind of have this whole like veil so no one really knows what's going on behind closed doors, which I would just like to see more and more companies actually like tell you what's up, where they stand, even on political issues. Like Definitely. I totally agree. I think that so many people are afraid to take a stand. And I always say with my clients, especially like the more specific you get and the more opinionated you get, like I'm very loud, I'm very outspoken, I'm very opinionated. Um And that's going to attract people that I want to work with. So why would I want to work with somebody that doesn't believe Black Lives Matter? Like, I would never want that person to even come into my world, you know? And I got asked this question recently um, by somebody that works for me. He said, what if somebody filled out your strategy form and then you go look at them on Instagram and they're like a huge Trump supporter? And I said, that would never happen. I would never attract that kind of, right. I would never attract that because I'm so loud and so opinionated and so crystal clear on who it is that I want to work with and how picky I am and da, 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 that I don't think that that would ever happen. Like I would never attract uh, somebody that has such polarizing beliefs and opinions than I do. And I think this, like during this time, during the summer, during Black Lives Matter, I've been appalled. You know, I want to talk about 
unconscious bias because I think for me, it's been very eye-opening, one, at how much just outright straight-up racism still exists in the world. And then two, the second factor of that is just within my own company and my own decisions, the unconscious bias that has been brought to light and how we handle that. But I have a really good friend who had a very similar experience to you, and he was devastated. He called me and he's like, my company's not going to post. And he's like, how can I, I've spent the last five years um, building up this brand, like the culture standing by it. I've been a huge part. He's a big face of it too. Mm -hmm. Like people know and associate him with this company. And I think to me, I read a post that you wrote, you know, this isn't about politics. Like I can't separate being black from my business. Like it goes hand in hand (laughs) and um, just shocking to me. I, I like an embarrassed, I guess I'm embarrassed a little bit about how surprised I am because I live in such a bubble where people sing Kumbaya and the mayor of, you know, during the protest here, the mayor of Santa Cruz is black and all the cops yeah. took their guns off and we were all like, it was so peaceful. Yeah. And so to step outside of that and get calls from my friend or hear stories like this, it's like, what do we do? Yeah, I mean the the biggest thing is is everyone just needs to hold the mirror up, right? Like every single person that and that's you know black, white, Hispanic, Asian, like it, it doesn't matter. We grew up being bombarded with certain images. Yeah, that stuff is going to make its way into your psyche one way or another, right? Like, uh, and that goes for like even like being misogynistic, right? Like totally see that stuff, we hear that stuff in music, like. That stuff is going to get into your mind and we have to put the mirror up like anything we're seeing in the world and we're trying to call out, you know, all oh, that person over there is doing something I don't agree with and that per- whatever. Like we see all that. We need to then take note, put the mirror up and try to find that within ourselves because more than likely it exists, maybe not on the same scale as what we see in other people. Right. Like the hate some people have, you know, it's probably not in a lot of us to that degree. Right, it's right. Probably in there somewhere. Um, so I think all of us just can take some time to try to find those blind spots because they're they're sneaky, they're hidden, and they might not come up except for like very specific situations. But it's right. very important to try to figure that out and and take a look back at like, okay, what is all of the media that I consumed? okay, how were people being depicted within all of that media, right? Like the unconscious bias is, it's just going to be there. If most of the movies you watched, you know, the black guy dies first and, and, you know, that's like a known thing in in most movies, right? Like what Mm -hmm. is that? Movies where you're seeing the cops beat up people were like, oh, you know, that's just what cops were supposed to do. Like things like that, you know, it's, it's, we need to just uncover all these things that we see in film or see in the news. And we know the messages that are trying to be given to us and just trying to figure out how we can basically backtrack, get down to the root of where it stemmed from and, and see if we can at least pause in situations that we're finding ourselves trying to utilize that unconscious bias like not necessarily for harm but just to be quick right. with assumption or decision or something like that so um i think yeah biggest thing is just holding up the mirror 
finding it within ourselves, figuring out how we can at least be part of the solution, right? And and not worry too much about like the people that seem very far gone. It's like, okay, just continue to do the work on yourself and right. see how that impacts the circle around you. You know, no longer letting certain comments fly. Like I I had grown like numb to the point where people would say offensive stuff and you know, it wouldn't even hit my eardrums. It would just be like, mm. just gone. And I had like, once, the jo- once George Floyd was murdered and, you know, I watched that, it was like a whole storm of things that I had been ignoring and being told, like, have thick skin, you know, you just have to be tougher. But like all these things were somehow racism and, and bullying were like being told to be treated the same way. Like, right. oh, and it's like, no, it's not the, the kid in school that says some racist stuff. That's not me. I don't, I don't need to have thicker skin, right? Like, right. Shit. he's the one that you should be talking to. <laughs> not, <laughs> not me. What a fucking concept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, there's so much to, you know, unpack with all of that. And thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, in my experience of, you know, George Floyd being murdered in this summer, it's just, it's brought so much to light for me. And what's, like I was saying that like so much hatred or racism still even exists. Like that's a very privileged way of thinking, right? That I, you know, I'm this white girl. I grew up in predominantly white communities, uh, near black communities, right? But still very much separate. And um, that's just totally crazy. And and most of the conversations that I've been having this summer are with my family and my white friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really amazing and eye-opening. My dad and I had a really beautiful conversation where he was saying, you know, it has to do with education. You know, he has this whole opinion on education, education. And I was like, yes, I agree. But also when I drive down the street of Richmond, I have to drive down San Pob to get from my old place to my parents' place. As you know, it's not um, the safest area. Mm-hmm. And me locking my doors when I see two black guys walking towards this, the stop sign or the intersection, that's not education. You know, that's culture. Like that's, that's like, that has nothing to do with those guys getting the same education as like at all. They could have it. And, and I think, you know, Ryan Harris said to me on my podcast, he was talking about um, what really bothers him when people say, I don't see color. Mm. And he said, you tell me, I didn't say that by the way, but he was telling yeah. me that somebody had said that to him. And he said, you, you go into a black barber shop on a Friday night by yourself and you tell me you don't see color. And yeah. that made me really pause because there are lots of black barber shops along that strip in, in Richmond. And every time I drive by, I'm like, man, it looks like a party in there. Like it looks so fun. And then when I thought about actually walking in, to yeah. a black barber shop, me, um, it was, it like totally gave me pause, you know, and made me realize, I think so much of what has happening and, and with this idea of holding up the mirror too, um, that's hard for people to do. 
yeah. to acknowledge that, you know, they might have something they need to work on. God forbid yeah. you're not perfect. Yeah. And so to bring that to light in general, but the biggest response that I've heard amongst, you know, my white friends and family is, oh, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. And it's this like immediate defense. And we need to drop that. And, and that's what I've been working to do in conversations. My sister, um, you know, she's, she's like the sweetest, most pure. She immediately joined every Facebook group, like, you know, white women trying to learn about white fragility and just like every single thing has my mom, everybody in our family reading these books and, and is just her ego is not there. Um, you know, the willingness to learn the willingness to unlearn. Um, and I think that's the key word is unlearning here because so much of what we've been taught and like you said, ingrained in our minds. And for me, I'm starting to really look at like, is there a difference? Because as a woman out and about alone, uh, there's a certain level of guard that needs to be up. Um, But where does my bias exist in that? And where is street smarts versus like, you know, just being smart, um, as a woman by myself at night walking around versus like being afraid because of these biases that have been like ingrained into me for my entire life. And how do we distinguish the two and how do we learn from that? And how do we move forward? My other question for you is as a business owner during this time, like Mill Valley is a pretty white area. Um, and I mean, right. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. So being a black business owner during Black Lives Matter, um, what was that experience like for you? How, how, how did that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of your clients, a lot of the people that you serve are white. Um, and what was that like, like running a business in a very white area during Black Lives Matter during COVID? Like what has been your experience? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's been pretty good because I've been, you know, so open to have conversations with people. So I've been having a ton of conversations with my clients when I've gone to some of the protests or the marches. Uh, some of my clients have come to meet me there, which has mm. been has been like incredible moments on uh, Juneteenth. Same thing. There was a celebration in uh, Marin City, which is like basically a town over, which is all black like that yeah. and it's the only it's like of the point whatever percent of mill valley's population is black 95 percent of it is in Marin city um so it's been good to be able to educate people on like hey, this community that you've been living in for a bit this is what they've been doing to Marin city for so long uh this is some resources for black lives matter i've been doing like some fundraising for some of the organizations that i'm uh, volunteering for. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, and it's, it's been actually really nice to see also because it is a predominantly white area, which right. has historical, you know, uh, like redlining in their, their recent past and the reason why Marin city is what it is and how they, yeah. So just, there, there's a lot there. Uh, from that perspective, but the town, because the mayor basically came out and said Black Lives Matter isn't really a thing of importance to Mill Valley, the Mill Valley, whatever they're called, Mill Valleyans, I don't know, but they, um, 
they came out in arms. They were very upset that she said that comment. So there's been protests and marches and signs and like it's everywhere I go, like on hikes, you see Black Lives Matter and this and that. Mm-hmm. And, and I know they're just signs and, you know, it definitely isn't the solution, but it's still a huge shift. Like I've never seen that before yeah. where you have white people talking to one another, standing up for black people together as a community like that. I, I mean, it's about time. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Cause before it was, it was like what you were saying is just, well, I'm not, I'm not racist. Right. So it's just like, kind of don't involve me in that. Right. Uh, but now I think more and more people are waking up to, it's not about, it's not about that. It, yeah. It's about like, okay, you aren't racist cool but you're allowing that racist over there to make my life a living hell right (laughs) you know like your silence you know I really liked what you said you said um I'm not mad at you if you have privilege that's cool like use it you know you posted something like that and I think that is for me um and I've talked a lot with my friend Alfredo about this because he likes to call me out which I'm so grateful for um he doesn't really let comments slide um so he's in uh poli- the politics you know he's really into politics um in San Francisco and is just a huge teacher of mine and um he doesn't really like let comments like this slide and for me something him and I talked about is the guilt is just like this white guilt. And mm-hmm. he'll remind me as others have, like, it's not cute. You know, it's not cute to like have this, like, oh, I feel so guilty. I'm like paralyzed with like guilt and this whole thing, like, you know, try being on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think for me, it's just been a really powerful few months. I've found funnily enough, um, the people that have called me out the most and been the most hateful have actually been other white women, which is like another whole conversation. But I found the call out culture, um, white women on white women during this whole thing to be like really shocking and awful and weird. Um, like it was just like everything about like this, like COVID, like people are just like wigging out and home and like not having anything to do. And then with this huge uprising with the Black Lives Matter movement, I think there's just a lot of emotions and experiences that are happening, but I don't want that to block what really needs to be coming through. Right. And so I started like sort of stepping back from posting and sharing because of, you know, the hate or negative comments. And that's, I know, an experience of a lot of people that I know and a lot of my clients that have really big followings. They, when they did choose to share, they got so much hate one way or the other. It was just totally absurd. Um, And I think people just don't know what to do, but doing nothing is also not the answer. It's, it's, it's a, I mean, a strange time. There's the thought police, right? Like people are, you're not not doing it my way. So shame you. Right. Like, which just gets, it gets old. Um, Yeah. It's, it's confusing. I, I, been watching people trying to navigate that right because it's like well they do have an audience that is there for a specific thing so i i do get you are helping people when you give them the information that they're there wanting but like how can we then still still do what we're known for but then also putting in like uh 
you know, what you stand for, you know, just making sure humanity. Yeah. yeah, Just rounding it out. Right. Like just being like, Oh, I understand that there are some people that are on here that might not have this thought, but this is my thought. So I'm going to give it to you and see what you're saying. Like just being like transparent, (laughs) just, just being truthful. And, And I think that's what a lot of people are kind of asking for. So it's almost like, the way we used to post definitely has to go out the window and you have to put more like explanation into, right. <laughs> into the captions and into all, you know, all this other stuff that, you know, nothing is, is fair, but I don't know how you navigate the internet in a, a way that's just like, well, you're never going to please everyone yeah, is the thing. Right? Like you're never going to please anyone. And I really believe that intention is everything and you can feel somebody's intention. Um, so if, you know, they say something wrong or say something that could be taken the wrong way or out of context or whatever, I think, you know, and that's one thing I've been talking a lot with my team about, like my, um, operations gal Katie has been really influential over the last few months with me and looking at my podcast guests or the clients I work with and just really having me take a step back and take a big look because I don't work with many men in general. Um, I have a few male clients that are usually in the health and wellness and spiritual arena, um, but normally I just attract white women. And I didn't really think that there was anything wrong with that, but there's so much wrong with that. So I've like redone my mood boards. I have people do mood boards when they want to attract their dream client. I've redone my letters to my dream audience and my dream client because it's just been, you know, a really eye-opening month to see how much just I can do in my mindset because I think that we have a long way to go. I think in our lifetime, we're going to see an incredible amount of progress. Um, I have to believe that, but At the same time, I think because we have such a long way to go in terms of like specifically what you were talking about, the redlining, like in Richmond, especially, oh my God, my parents live on the white side of Richmond, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you cross literally train tracks and then there's, you know, the iron triangle or what you say and the iron triangle is like 0.5 miles from their house, you know, but feels worlds away. And they're in that situation, you know, in housing and education, yes, we have a long way to go, but with our mindset, we can change that right now. And I talk about how mindset is so, so important. And for me, my mindset has shifted. I am not afraid to say like, I see black people completely differently than I did six months ago. The amount of love and joy. And in Santa Cruz, I live in a pretty white neighborhood. Every single window has a Black Lives Matter sign um, on the window. And just that feeling to me of pulling up at a gas station in Richmond and there being a bunch of other black guys, you know, filling up their gas. I just like have this unbelievable amount. I want to like put a sign on my car. It's like, I'm with you, you know, and I, um, I want to scream it from the rooftops and I do, my mindset has changed and granted I wasn't too far, you know, away from this mindset. Um, but how I see the world and how I see people specifically black people has changed a lot in the last three months. And I just have, I have a lot of hope and I hope that you do too. And, um, you know, if, if you've seen changes for better, for worse, you know, how you've sort of, you know, to sort of wrap it up, what the, your biggest takeaway, I guess, from this movement has been. I mean, my, my biggest takeaway is I, I think a lot of people in our 
age and our parents tried to bring us up on like basically colorblindness, right? Like right. they did try to do that because they thought that was the way right. forward, but then it just ignored what problems, you know, people who were of uh, black or, you know, whatever uh, people of color in general, like we're going through, right? By all the people that did clearly see color and we're, <laughs> you know, and we're making sure that, you know, all the people that they saw that weren't white couldn't get to wherever they were trying to go to. Uh, so I think the biggest change and takeaway from what I'm seeing currently is just so many people willing to just kind of open their eyes and be like, oh, damn, I've just been ignoring all this for so long and just living in, in my world, my bubble. And you know, now's the time to, to pop it and, and to get a little uncomfortable. You know, it's, it's seeing more people embrace that discomfort where for the longest time, we're all taught to just seek out comfort, which has led to, you know, a lot of our bubbles looking the ways they have. And, you know, most of our lives being, single color and this and that it's like it's just coming from this place of trying to find comfort and i think now people are just knowing that that is not the way forward the only way forward is through discomfort mm-hmm. true growth and change and and it seems like people are, are willing to do that work and have been taking it on themselves right like not just asking everybody else like what what they can do but they've been like doing the work themselves right yeah so. yeah That's what I've been, I think, most inspired by is that is seeing people sort of really going inside because that's what you were talking about. It's this idea of holding up a mirror. Like if you're not actually doing the work and actually reading and unlearning and, um, you know, having conversations within your small community, but then posting on like, so like, you know, it's not, there's a disconnect there. And so it's been really beautiful and people in my world, um, and I'm not going to name, but um, I've been really surprised actually at how open and vulnerable some people in my life I thought would be very closed off and defensive um, have shown up during this time. And I, you know, the oneness to me and the, the community and the celebrating our differences has always been really important. And, you know, I think I'm thinking a lot about the next generation and the world that we can create for me as a woman, um, you know, for you as a black man and for just us as like small business owners that like care about humanity. And I think you really like named it. It's about, you know, being a human being and also being a business owner. And, but then we have this, you know, humanity that we have to, like, we exist, we're human beings. And, um, so much of what I do, I'm very spiritual. So I always say it's like strategy plus spirituality, like is what makes, you know, everything that I do happen. And so brings it to life. Yeah, it brings it to life. So yeah, I'm just grateful to know you and to have had this conversation and grateful for Wynn for suggesting we talk about this because, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to, to talk about. And for me, like going back to growth and change, Clay, my husband always says, you know, you don't find yourself uh, on a beach somewhere. You know, he takes me on these really miserable hikes, like miserable treks where I like just want to die the whole time. But he's like, that's where you find yourself, like in the discomfort, in the like, I can't even make it one more step, but you do. Um, 
And, you know, just to bring it back to the fitness and stuff like that and the physical movement. But he says that all the time, like you're never going to find yourself, you know, relaxing on a beach somewhere. You're never going to find yourself in that growth and change in the comfortable. Um, and change and growth is so fun. So you need to get a little uncomfortable. You need to be willing to have conversations and, and do the work yourself. And, you know, I've read lots of things. I've been following Rachel Cargill a lot. Um, she does the unlearning syllabus Mm -hmm. and, um, you're, you're reading some of that stuff. And as a white woman, it's real, it's pretty uncomfortable, um, to read it. And, and I think that's a really good thing. And that's exactly where I should be right now is uncomfortable. Um, and yeah. So what's your book going to be about? I cannot wait. Yeah. So I mean, my book is, it's strewn out in front of me right now. I printed what I have of it so far and it's going to get put into a binder soon. Wow. Um, but basically it's going to be called, or at least this is the current working title, From There to Here, which it's basically just a bunch of lessons that I had to be taught over and over again. And like, when did that lesson finally stick? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, man, <laughs> I could use to read that. Oh my God. The, rep- the repeating lessons that yeah. we go through is unbelievable, isn't it? It is. It's, I mean, the number of times where I'm like, oh, why did I not learn after that one? Like, <laughs> you know, why did I keep putting myself through that torment? And, you know, that's part of like insanity, right? They say is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And like, as I'm reading this, I was like, geez, like <laughs> there's so many times where I was just clearly being insane and just refusing not to change myself and just hoping the world would change. And then finally I was like, oh, no, this is just how it world is. Yeah. I need to change myself. <laughs> like I'm just making myself miserable half the time. So yeah, so the book is about that. So pretty much, you know, my life from football, from uh my dad uh passing away and I mean dealing with all kinds of health issues before passing away, then uh complications of like dementia and mm. uh so yeah, so there's a lot there with that. Uh, my relationship with like with my parents in general, with my mom, how much of a rock she's been. So I, I try to, you know, touch on pretty much every aspect of, of life with like relationships, work, upbringing. Um, and then I talk about privilege uh, because I think that's, again, it's like a trigger. It's a trigger word for so many people. Like, mm-hmm. to hear, it's like oh, no, I've done everything myself. And you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> like is there a human alive that has never gotten help right like right it, it doesn't exist so I talk about a lot of the privileges I had you know coming from I mean I had a two-parent household all the way up until I was uh 28 right that's when my dad mm-hmm. so I had two parents for most of my life up to this point uh had a house had a huge yard you know had a dog right. lived in a neighborhood where I could never feel unsafe right like I could just run around during the day I could run around at night and never felt unsafe um so I mean there's just a lot of things that I think in our day-to-day we take for granted but they are truly actually privileges so I try to touch on uh some of those quite a bit and and then just the hope is that you know people can just take away anything from any of the stories and just have some sort of connection and an introspection and, and, and maybe create some growth. But 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I love your take on privilege. I think it's like the word privilege gets a bad rep. Like it's like a negative thing. And I liked reading your post. Um, I, you, I read something you wrote about privilege because I grew up very privileged. And it's actually the, the fact that it's had on me is I feel like I can't fail. Mm -hmm. because I've been, and I'm super hard on myself because I've had literally everything handed to me. So Mm -hmm. like grew up in a very safe neighborhood in New Jersey, moved to California. You know, we lived on a lake. I learned to sail at a young age. Um, You know, my parents paid for my college education, like all of these privilege on top of privilege, on top of privilege, like bailout on top of bailout. Like every time I fucked up, there's someone there to bail me out. And so because of that, I have, I put this pressure on myself um, that it's just like, if I were to fail, that would just be the most embarrassing, most awful thing because of everything that I've been handed. Like I just can't fail. Mm -hmm. Um, And that comes with its own set of stuff. So I think talking about privilege and how we can use it, you know, I say a lot, I give this talk called marketing your Dharma. And I say, if like doing what you love and living your purpose and um, living your Dharma is a privilege. You know, so many people don't get to do that. And if you have this privilege, you have a responsibility. Um, I think privilege comes with responsibility. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you're touching on that um, because I agree that we need to talk more about it. It does. It needs to be, it just needs to be spoken about and not in a a, a negative way. Like I had, had a conversation with a friend, a white kid I grew up with who was, he was like upset that he checked off every single box there was for privilege. Like he he was like actually upset. He's like, does that mean like everything I have, I I didn't work for him? Like, nah, man, it just means like you didn't really have any obstacles thrown in front of you. Like it's it's not really, it's, it's not the end of the world. But I'm like, you can use that, like exactly. where you've gotten and, and your experiences to help other people that you know aren't being given those same things as just like a default. Uh, so that was, I mean, that was a, I, I've had that conversation with two different, two different guys uh, who were both just really triggered by the term privilege and trying yeah. to let them know, like, man, if, if, if that's the worst that's being said to you. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, I've a, definitely it's... changed my, but I can, you know, see, understand that point of view because it's like, mm-hmm. I, I work really hard, but because I am so privileged, I feel like I do have to work harder. And I remember I had that realization in college. I didn't realize what an asshole I was. So my book that I'm working on is called when I was an asshole and the, uh, the teaser or like the spoiler, uh, the ending is I'm still an asshole. Um, <laughs> but it talks about, um, though, you know, I've, I've, I've been writing this for a while. And when I realized that I was a huge asshole, I was in college, um, because I grew up in a privileged community. So everyone was privileged. So I didn't realize it. And then I got to college and, um, my friend had run out of, uh, lunch meals, like in the calf. Um, for the week because she could only have a certain amount and she was on student loans and the whole thing and everything came crashing down. Like I just, I remember it was like my first real like existential crisis when I just sort of realized like this bubble that I had been living in. Um, and I think we constantly, right, are popping those bubbles like you you said. And I just think more of these conversations, please. 
Um, and yeah, so how can people, no, wait, we want to talk about the organization that you're working with. That's the last thing I want to talk about. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm working with this organization, a nonprofit called Play Marin. Yeah. Which is in Marin City. And basically it's a organization that's, that wants to basically educate and, and uplift the youth that's been underserved and neglected for so long and do that through uh, movement, right? Mm -hmm. So do like play. So basically I've been volunteering twice a week for like two hours a day and, you know, having them play games, also trying to incorporate some of the stuff that I do. So, you know, teaching just kind of the fundamentals of movement in general, um, but yeah, so the organization, I mean, they, they have sport leagues, they have summer camps, uh, they bring kids into just different areas. Like they'll bring them, uh, on hikes or surfing and just basically like I grew up doing or being a part of this organization called Kente Cultural Center, which I grew up in like the woods pretty much, but closest like inner city was New London and they had this Kente mm -hmm. Cultural Center which was basically a way of bringing uh black kids into areas that normally you're not going to be exposed to so certain sciences you go to like the science center and go to see plays and stuff like that so this organization reminds me a lot of that and just like the power of one showing up for people that a lot of people have not been showing up for. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so it's been, it's been great though. Um, the kids are like ages five to I think the oldest kid is 13 and awesome. been so much fun. And I it, love it, kids. Oh, it, it's yeah. There are a lot, a lot of energy. It's a lot of, uh, I mean, it makes you immediately feel old and young. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Totally. You think you're their age and then they're looking at you like an old man and you're like, ah. <laughs> I know that's, that's really, that's the funniest part. I think about hanging out with my friends, kids is, um, you know, there's, we hang out this 11 year old and he was FaceTiming his friend and he was like, who are you with? And he's like, Oh, my dad's friends. Yeah. I'm like, we're so old, but so, uh, play Marin is how you can support, um, that organization. And then other ways we can find you, you're doing this crazy kettlebell challenge. So, uh, give me all the calls to actions. <laughs> so, uh, play Marin, uh, I believe it's playmarin.org. Org, yeah. Yeah. So playmarin.org. Um, I mean, just awesome. Everything. The guy, Paul Austin, who runs that organization is just like, you know, just the busiest person I think I've ever come across, you know, he's from one thing to the next, just constantly trying to improve his community. And, you know, cause he's like, we, they, they definitely deserve it. They've been screwed over for so long and it would just be nice to see Marin city be what, you know, everyone wants it to be. That's living within the community and not have it be gentrified, like uh, what's trying to be done right now. So, you know, the hopes there is that the people living in the community remain there but their lives just improve um so yeah so there's playmarin and then you can find me on instagram uh at power of strength which every friday i host a free basically it's it's 100 swings that we do but you do 10 every minute for 10 minutes 
Uh, and for people that can't swing, like I, uh, I think Wynn didn't have a kettlebell when she joined and she was doing squats and I think Christian was doing like push-ups. So, you know, people that cool. are on there aren't necessarily doing swings, but it's just a way of like having some sense of community during this time where we're all kind of living very separated and solo lives. So, uh, so that's been fun. Yeah. That's every Friday at, at noon. Uh, I call it Cali time now that I live out here. But. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's so fun. Well, I can't wait to have you back on when this book is done. Um, I would love to help you promote it and just support whatever you're doing Um, and meet you. We're like so close by. So this is totally ridiculous. When Wynn told me you live nearby and I'm from, I was born in Connecticut. Now we both live out here. So we've been living parallel lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, So I'd love to meet you in person, but thank you for your time. And thank you for sharing um, with my audience and just being so honest and truthful and transparent and everything. It was just great to talk to you. The time flew by. So thank you. Thanks for for having me on. This was great. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, for everybody listening, thank you. And until next time, keep growing.